Good evening. It's great to be with you again. My name is Sandy, Sandy Hart, and uh, I'm going to speak to you in the second series of Toxic. Now, believe it or not, I don't think I've ever been poisoned. Not even food poisoning. How good is that? But uh, toxic, the worst thing about toxic is that it can lead to death. But I'm going to start my message straight up tonight and say you're already dead. You're dead. Hang around to see how you can get alive. Okay? You're dead. Uh, today I'm going to talk, tonight I'm going to talk about shame. Shame. And just compare it a little bit to guilt and condemnation. But, you know, shame is something that we all struggle with. And sometimes we call it guilty. We say, I feel guilty or I feel so judged. But just let me explain for a minute. Guilt is if I break the law. And I don't necessarily feel guilty. I am guilty. It's a state. So it doesn't matter coming to church tonight if I drove 5K over or 10K or 15K over or even 1K over the speed limit. I'm breaking the law and I'm guilty whether I'm found out or not, whether it was intentional or accidental. It gets a little bit complicated if I get caught. That's when a bit of the shame comes in. And that's where some of the blame and the excuses come. It wasn't my fault, officer. It wasn't my fault. I didn't know this was a limit. I wasn't looking. I was thinking, doesn't matter. You break the law, you're guilty. Now, if it's over the speed limit by a long way, then usually you've got a hefty fine. And if you've refused to pay the fine, you could end up in court because you're condemned to pay the penalty of the guilt. You've got to pay up or serve out the time. And once you have either paid the penalty or been condemned and done your stuff, you are free to go. However, I have learned that it does appear on your record as a criminal offence. Now, that's guilt. I don't feel guilt. Guilt is an action. But if I say I feel real guilty, we're probably talking about shame. So let me just talk about guilt is if I break the law. That's easy. I pay the fine. Shame comes when I try to park my car on the main street with lots of people looking. Because, you see, once upon a time, I was driving a very big, a very big station wagon, and a very big station wagon, and it had no power steering, and I was only used to little cars. And I parked it, and someone dared to park in front, very close, and very close right behind, and I couldn't get out. I tried, I tried. I felt ashamed. I was near to tears. In fact, all my trying made it worse. And I was so embarrassed. Fortunately for me, a young man came over and said, would you like me to get your car out of this? It was in Patterson Street in Launceston. And I looked around to see that none of my friends were watching, that no one could see. I felt shame. Shame is something we feel. Guilt is an action. Now, that's just a little thing. I still feel that sometimes if I think too much about parking. So I still like to park where it's easy to get out. But if I can't get in, 
I am covered with that shame feeling about parking. There's other things in my life that have called shame, caused me to shame, feel shame. Lots of stuff. I've worn shame. I've lived in shame. I've been shamed about my childhood, my family, my schooling, my inability to perform, my failures, the desire to play sport and not being good enough, being told that I wasn't good enough, not coming up to other people's expectations. I've been shamed about the clothes I wore, the family I lived in. So much shame I carried. Shame about being single, about sexuality, about a whole lot of stuff that no one would ever know because we don't talk about shame. Over the years, my God has continually worked out his salvation in my life and caused me how, taught me how to deal with my shame. I want to say this about shame. There's three things, and I want you to remember these things. First of all, Shame is universal. You know what that means? You're not the only one. It's everyone. We all feel shame. We all do. It's universal. We handle it differently. Some people withdraw. Some people clown. Some people see themselves as small and insignificant. Some people see themselves as bold and important. Some people try to suppress or deny. Some people even become bullies and shame makers and shame shaming others. We handle shame differently, but we have all experienced shame. We actually have this inner voice that can sometimes say, if you really knew me, you might not like me, let alone accept me. We feel shame sometimes because we have been shamed. And it wasn't, we've been the victim we feel shame because we may have been bullied or embarrassed. I asked one of my 12-year-old friends this week, I said, tell me what shame is. And she said, it's being embarrassed. It's um, failing. It's not being good enough from the mouth of a 12-year-old. She could have been preaching this tonight, not me. She knows what shame is and she's 12. And she can name it. The other thing about shame is that, first of all, it's universal, and then it's horizontal. Now, I want you to get this. I want you to understand this. Shame is horizontal. It's not just between God and me. If it was, that would be fine, because I confess my sin, and he deals with my sin, and he deals with the guilt. He died, and he said I'm not condemned. Shame is this way. It's about people. It's what I think you think I am. It's what I think you think I should be. It's what I think you are. It's all about how we perceive, how we see others. It's what I think you expect of me. It's what I can't give you. It's how I see myself in relation to you and to another. Sometimes I feel better than, sometimes I feel less than. It's horizontal. It's when I'm found out and I feel sorry and I use the word remorse but actually it's shame. 
It's when I don't feel like live up to the standards of the youth group. It's when I feel very different and not included and not accepted. When I feel rejected and different from because I can't do what others do and they seem to be in the in crowd and I'm not. And my behaviours will start to show that. It's when I feel that you are judging me. Even if you're not. It's all about perception. The third thing about Shame. You got the first one? Universal. Second, horizontal. Third, it's about the fact that it's like a limpet. It remains. It sticks to you. You wear it and it's hard to get off. Even after confession, shame lingers. Even when I promise myself that I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't ever do that again. Even when I fail again and promise myself and everyone else, shame is there. I fail, it lingers, I confess, but I still feel the shame. So my action, of course, is to hide. Hide in some way. So we'll just go back to the Bible when it's first mentioned, when the word shame is first mentioned. Do you know where it is? Genesis. Genesis 2. Most of what we know about God, humanity, and this world is in those first three chapters. And at the end of Genesis, in chapter 2, in verse 25, it says this, Adam and Eve were both naked, but they felt no shame. Remember, shame's a feeling. They were naked. Now, this is not just not having clothes on. There's enough play on the Hebrew words here, um, too complicated to go into tonight, to give the sense that this is a nakedness that feels vulnerable. I've exposed my inner being. I feel naked. I look inside. And I want to hide. I'm ashamed. But shame? They didn't feel that. They didn't feel shamed. But we don't have to go far in the story where we see in the next chapter where it says to them that uh, Adam and Eve, who lived in complete harmony with themselves, with God, and with uh, each other when they had this incredible relationship, nowhere to hide, nothing to hide, naked before God and before each other, they disobeyed God. This is what it says in Genesis 3 and verse 7. The eyes of both were naked. Sorry, the eyes of both of them were opened. And they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig trees, fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Bit pathetic. I'm not sure fig leaves would do too much. But notice, their eyes were opened. Open to what? This horizontal. They saw themselves. They saw how the other perceived them. They saw a cross. Satan actually promised them that in the earlier part of the scripture where he said, your eyes will be opened and you will see. They sure did see and their perception changed forever. They realized they were naked. They hid behind fig leaves. He, Adam, answered when God went looking for them, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. 
afraid, naked, hid. Listen to the question God said. Who told you you were naked? How did they know? Who told them? Who told them they were naked? They see, their eyes are open. They see each other. They see the shame that they've brought on themselves. They hide. And we have been hiding ever since. They cover themselves. The end of the story of chapter 3, there's a beautiful picture of God who gives them some covering. And this is probably the first time where death happened so that they could be covered He made covering for them. The Lord made garments out of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So all of the things we can't call shame have got the elements of seeing and being seen. Seeing and being seen. A judgment being made. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. You're not good enough and a failing to come up to scratch. The rest of the Bible story is about covering this shame. But before we get there, summarise so far, guilt is about an action, shame is about the whole person, it's about our identity. Shame is crippling, debilitating, because it affects us deeply. Shame challenges us about who we are in ways that guilt does not. It's about identity. Let me give you a little story now, a little aside from cultural anthropology to help you understand shame and why I started saying you're dead, you're dead, believe it or not. In other cultures, cultural anthropologists used to divide the world into shame-based cultures and guilt-based cultures. They don't do that so much now because there is the understanding that shame is universal and guilt doesn't really do much for us today. Shame-based culture. This is how an extreme shame-based culture works. If, perchance, the female deviated from any way that the family considered inappropriate, she brought shame on the family. You got that? If she did something, it's only she, by the way, it's usually women that shamed them. You could talk to the wrong person. It was very, very strict. Now, in extreme situations, even to this day, That required the males in the family, brothers, father, uncles, cousins, males, to actually put to death that woman to regain the honour. It meant death to the daughter or the wife. If the female happened to escape, She was considered dead. Her name never mentioned. Now and then, even to this day, we read stories, hear stories in the news about shame killings. I'm saying this because it was considered that the only way to bring back honour and to get rid of the shame was to kill. 
the one perceived to have brought the shame. A death had to happen to deal with the shame. Of course, this sounds quite barbaric to us, but the truth remains, even to this day, and as we sit here and you're in front of your screens, the way out of shame is by death. We need to die to our shame, and that's where we come to Jesus. Thankfully, thankfully, we come to Jesus. So what has Jesus done? He died in our place. He died on a cross. The cross was a shameful way to die. And only the cursed die on the cross. Listen to this verse. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. Cursed. And from Hebrews. For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross scorning its shame and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want us to take just a closer look at what Paul wrote to a church in Colossae. He actually said in Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 to 15 you were dead because of your sins. So there you are, I said you were dead. <laughs> You're dead in the trespasses of your sins if you do not know Jesus. In this case, it says you were dead. So something happened, obviously, to the dead. But I want to say tonight that you are the walking dead. You're either dead in the trespasses of your sin or, wait for it, you're dead because of your failure to live up to God's standards. That's how you once were. But because, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away, that is, you've not yet died, then God made you alive. And he forgave your sins. Sins. That's how he did it. He cancelled the record of the charges against us. You got that? All of those charges that were written against us, just like the policeman does when we break the law, all the charges, he cancelled them. He cancelled them. He did it by nailing it to the cross. Through his death, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. A public shaming of all the evil spiritual powers at work against humans. So what does this mean for us? A death had to happen. Jesus died. A shameful death. He took the shame on him. And he laughed and he scorned the shameful practices of humanity. And he disarmed the power of shame. He disarmed the nasty, evil, evilness behind shame. He became shame. A death has to happen. And that's an invitation for us to make it our death. So either dead in the trespasses of our sins, or we can be invited to a new death, a new way of dying. Listen to this. 
baptism is a funeral for death. You got it? That's not original. That came from a friend of mine. Baptism is a funeral for death. What? What? Maybe you're familiar with what we call baptism. We practice it in our church services. I'm not really sure how that will go down in uh, these, this current normal, normal way that we're living now. I don't know. They'll have to work that one out, just like they had to work out, out how we get to church and in the services. But this, we practice it. When you ask to be baptised, it's because you have given your life to Jesus and you believe that he is your Lord and Saviour. And it's a public declaration that there's a new way of living. We go down into the water. That's the practice we do here. And we come up again. It's that act of disobedience declaring what has happened inside us. Firstly, the outward action tells us the story of a new birth. We once were dead to the trespasses of sin. When we respond to Jesus, we give him our dead-end lives. We say goodbye to the old way of living and hello and welcome to God's way. We are born into a new family. The Bible calls this baptised into the family of God or baptised into Christ. One of the most famous verses that we know called the Great Commission, it actually says, go and make disciples, baptizing them into, little word there, into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the family of God. We are baptized into. We make that movement towards the family. I want you to get this, so follow closely again from Colossians chapter 2 and verse 11. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. When you went down into the water, it's considered buried with him. And with him you were raised when you came up out of the water to new life because you trusted in the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You have a new life. You have been saved from being condemned to living dead, to living condemned to a life without Christ. You became a child of God. You're a new creation. But this life is one with union with God. We've got to get this. We've just got to get it. He died. I died. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. That's not all. I have a new identity. Yes, I am in Christ. I am in Christ. And the special use of that Greek word says, in, that's my location. That's my location. That's my home. My home is in the family of God. This is where I live. This is where I live because I have died to myself. 
My daily reality is to acknowledge my new life in Christ. I died, and I die daily, to me, myself, my control, my ways. I live a life in Christ. We talked about guilt as an action. Shame is about identity. Now, we've talked about baptism being the death of shame. But this identity that we have is an invitation continually to live the new way, the new life in this new family. How? How? This is what we must appreciate and understand. We can't do it by ourselves. We were never meant to live the Christian life by ourselves. Yes, I'm in Christ. Yes, I've identified. Yes, I've been baptised. I have to learn to live in the family of God with my brothers and sisters. Jesus says, I'm not ashamed to be called your brother. God says, I'm not ashamed to be your God. Come on, let's live as family. Jesus died, I'm forgiven, I confess, he forgives. The Bible says that's not enough to deal with shame, the lingering shame, the shame that remains, the shame that says to me, if you knew me, you would not accept me. You might judge me. And I'm already judging you anyway. Even as people who have Christ in us, that's how we can think. So this dealing with shame, once it's dealt with, with Christ in our identity, becomes a family affair. It becomes a family affair. I'm a new family member, and it's my brothers and sisters that have to teach me how to be shameless and to live new life in Christ. I have to trust my family. I have to learn not to condemn them, not to judge them, to forgive them. I have to know that I am accepted in the family of God. And unfortunately, that's a practice we don't really have. We've not nailed it really well. Some of us do. Some of us have close friends that we are able to confess and share without any fear because we discover that most of what we're ashamed of, they are too. And that is a revelation. And that thinks, wow, and yet, you don't look as if you're ashamed. You don't look as if you've got any problems. You look as if you've got it all together. And that person says, come on, let's do life together. We haven't got it all together. But in Christ, we have hope. In Christ, we are new. In Christ, we do this together. So shame actually means it has to be handled with confession. Confession is not necessarily, dear Lord, I have sinned. That, that comes to the stage of confessing my sin. But confession is a little word that means I say with another, con, with, fess, I say. I say with another, this is the truth about me. Can you accept me? And the thing is, it may not necessarily be the truth, but it's been your truth for so long but when it comes out, you're exposed to the family of God, the word of God, and you're free from it because you learn what the Bible says. You learn what God thinks and you learn to be accepted in the family of God.
Shame is horizontal. So shame needs that openness with others, the vulnerability, the sense of welcoming, inviting, not judging. So we need to do what James asks us to do. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Confess your sins one to another. We don't do that. Confess. Pray for each other. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has power and produces wonderful results. So just recap. Have you been baptised? Maybe you don't even know the Lord Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Saviour. Invite him to come into your life and to exchange your old life for his life. And talk to someone about what this means right now. You can indicate that you want to know this. You can contact someone and say, I want to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you've never been baptised. Come, talk it out. Say on the um, app, on the chat thing today, I want to talk more about baptism. I want to be baptised. But I want to say this. Maybe you have been baptised. And maybe you feel ashamed because you have not been able to live well as a Jesus follower. Now's the time to confess that with the community of others who may not have been living well. Say it together, pray it together, and determine together to help each other, to encourage, to come alongside, and to build in other people's lives. Let me pray. Thank you, Lord, that baptism is a death to shame. Thank you, Lord, that our physical baptism is a picture of what has happened when we died to the old way of life and when we went down into that water buried with Christ risen again and letting him live his life within us teach us Lord the value of the family of God teach us the value of truth speaking teach us Lord in Jesus name we pray Amen